We continue our study of the book of Matthew, turning to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, where we hope to return in about a month's time, the Lord willing it, to take up our study again. But tonight, coming not only to the participants in that mission, as we talked about last time, but now coming to that charge, to that commission, to what that people, those apostles, but by extension, then all of his disciples, and we having been now on this side of Matthew 28, saying, here is our mission. Here is what it is to be church. Here is what we are being equipped to go out, the good works that have been ordained for us to walk in them. And so how we are to take that calling up and the confidence in which we take that call up as well. So let's hear these words together, Matthew 10, beginning at verse 5. We give ourselves and humble ourselves before the almighty, eternal, inerrant, and infallible word of God. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask his blessing on it in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as you bring us before this charge to the mission, that which Jesus had come to live out, to be able to secure by way of his life and death and resurrection and ascension. So, Father, we, in hearing the words of that mission, of knowing what it is to be set apart, called to be holy and blameless in a crooked and perverse generation, Father, you have given us a great mission. And you give us then charge, Father, to go out unto the same. And so we ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit would be pleasing to you. Father, that you would remove any distraction that would hinder our glad response to it. And Father, that your name would be praised in it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, what is it to be charged or to be commissioned unto service and a mission? That children, when we hear charged, and certainly when we hear that word, perhaps, if someone is charged, we instantly think of prosecution, of, of the cops coming, and you have been charged with a crime. Something's been assigned to you. But thankfully, that's not what Jesus is doing with the apostles here in Matthew chapter 10. That a charge is a way, and it's a word that we don't use much today, maybe other than ordination services or that for elders or deacons or pastors, but, but a charge is to entrust someone with a task or with a cause itself. It is something that is given from one who has that charge and authority, and it's given to someone else. Here is your task. Here is the responsibility that you will take up along with us. 
But there's also another nature here of that word that sometimes we forget about because we listen to that word charge, we hear commission, and we hear that official nature of that. We hear the pomp and circumstance of that. But think sometimes, and again, maybe a a small example, when you're at a hockey game or at a baseball game and you hear that na-na-na-na-na-na charge, right? Here is that way we go to something. That there's an aggressive nature of what's called for. Not only that you have a role and responsibility to play that game and play it well, but to get after it. To go after it. And so after Jesus has selected his participants for that charge, commissioning them, choosing them, calling them out in their own personalities, in their own identities, different places, different aspects, different gifts, Now he says, this is what I have for you. And not only this is what I'm entrusting to you, the same work that I've been about, but here is the way that I want you to go to it. And that for us should begin to color an understanding of our mission in the church. That as believers in the priesthood, in that that wonder that is given to us as believers... We have a responsibility to doing the works that Jesus did, to doing that which he has set us apart to do. But there's an intensity to the work of Christ. One that if we're honest in confessing that sometimes that intensity is not always there. There's discouragements. There's hardships. There's heartaches. There's ways in which we've been a part of that mission and we've been hurt. We've taken shots, we're tired, or we're frustrated. And so we know that that charge is there, that, in, that trust, that cause, and that task, but we'll kind of do it, and we show up, and we go through the motions, but it's not before us. It's not aggressively pursued. It's not given with a wholehearted willingness and readiness from now on to live for him. And so what Jesus does in charging his apostles with this mission is to go forth not only in that trust and cause of Jesus, but to go out with his heart, with his passion, with his intention to do the will of his Father in heaven, to do it all till it is finished, To do it in the trust that it is right and good and true and will do exactly that for which it's been intended and entrusted in the first place. And that's our confidence. Yes, it's our charge entrusted to us as church members. But with that kind of passion and that kind of devotion and that kind of heart together. And yet that's one of steps. You see, it's interesting in our text tonight, before I give you that theme, is that Matthew 28, the end of that chapter, isn't put here. That isn't the first thing he gives to his apostles to go do. Go out and and change the world and turn it upside down. He says, I want you to start where you are. I want you to start in a very narrowly focused place with a narrowly focused vision in order to do that which I've called you to, that training, 
that step by step by step, there would be that move then later into all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here we see plainly in our text tonight that the apostles received the Lord's charge for his mission for sheep and grain. And so there are three parts of that charge that we see in our text tonight. They're charged first unto his direction. Not only to his directions and to the understanding of that task, but also to the place that he will send them. Next, they're charged unto his provision. If I'm going to send you to my work and to my task, I'm going to provide for it in every way. And so just go and be faithful to that which I've given to you. And then third, they are charged to his benediction. Go out into that world, seek to share that peace. If it is not returned, you will leave there and you will go in that aggressive way still farther into the place that I've called you to with that word, knowing that it will have its effect and that my people will be gathered according to that mission. But it starts with that direction. We see that in verses 5 through, I would say, through 8a. Because what they are sent to now is not just to stay. You're charged to hang out with me and be my posse. That isn't it. You are my 12. You are my closest. You are my companions, my confidants. You are the ones in which I am trusting all of my teaching. But now I'm going to send you out. To my apostles, I am now going to apostle you. I'm going to send you out to the very thing for which I have come to do. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, but he sends them out how? Why don't you go out and figure out your best practices and your way to do this? You know what? Go glean from the world. How are you going to reach people? How are you going to bring them in? What are you going to do? What's effective? No, they go out with instruction. Even there's that tense here where as they're walking, he's with them, continuing to teach them. Here are all the things you need to know. Like those moms who are trying to help their kids when they leave for college or they're leaving home and here's all those last minute instructions hoping that something sticks. But we know what Jesus has instructed them. They're sent out not to do their own will, they're sent out to do his will. They're not going out to their work, they're going out to his. And so those last instructions then are, don't forget that. Church, don't forget that. Don't forget to whom you belong. Don't forget whose charge you're to be steadfastly given to. But that is some of our amnesia. That's some of the issue in the church today. Where not only do we have an issue like we talked about this morning saying, do you know the main point of the gospel? But do you know why we're here? Why do we gather as church? What is the mission of the church? What are we to be steadfastly given to? And so do we know it? Do we know the instruction of Jesus? Are we giving ourselves more and more to the authority and teaching of his word? Is that seen in our work together in submitting to his directions, to his cause, to that which he has entrusted to the church and charged us with? They're questions that we have to answer individually, but also as a body. 
And so he sends them with his teaching. That is a part of our charge that we may not lay aside. It is not something that we should limit. It's not something that we should look at and take for granted. It is always about the word. The authority of the word, the standard of the word, the life-changing power of the word. That's why we gather twice on Sunday to hear word proclaimed and we don't go off to do a service project or take time off. It's about the word. The word is that instruction. The word brings life. But then Jesus, at least at the first, in this first training mission, sends them in a clear geographical direction. Look at the rest of verse 5. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. And we think, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. I mean, we, we need to go tell everyone. We need to proclaim to everyone. We need to do everything. And that too becomes some of the problem of the church. We want to fill every possible need. It's not your mission. We have to go and be everywhere. But then be absent from the place I've planted you? You see, his direction is focused for this mission. Directed geographically so that they would stay within Galilee. And perhaps even then we wonder why. Why would he keep them there? I, I, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be the most difficult place to go? I mean, if we're being honest with each other, that's why we prefer going on a foreign mission trip than going to the next block over and talking to somebody about Jesus. We're emboldened that way. I'm not going to see this person maybe ever again. There might even be a language barrier. I might not even have to speak to them. But to that neighbor that I'm going to see on that walk again, or whose kid goes to my school, what is it? There's mission. There's charge. The apostles were sent out to work among their own neighbors and their own families first. And so, yes, that scope will expand later. But there is a priority given to this stage of the mission, not only in terms of the recipients, but on the apostles. Be faithful to my word. Well, but Jesus, we don't want to go to Galilee. We'd rather go somewhere. This is where you will go. This is your charge. This is your command. This is your place. So go to it. Go to it aggressively. Go to it passionately. Go to it with a vigor that will take you then from here into the rest of the world. It is a call to us and an understanding of that direction. We go to where God calls us. Sometimes we lament that, oh, well, I'm not a missionary like them, or I'm not a church planner like them. Or I... We all enter a mission field the moment we leave here. Arguably, we're still in one here. But you're going to go home to a mission field. You're going to go home to a neighborhood that's a mission field. You're going to go to a workplace that's a mission field. You're going to go to a school tomorrow that's your mission field. We go where the Lord calls us. We follow his will, that which is discerned by his word and through prayer. And he makes very plain then 
where he wants them to go. But go, verse 6, rather, instead of, go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And here we see Jesus, even by way of that instruction, granting the apostles an understanding of that covenant significance, of the way that the word ordinarily was to work itself out. Why go to lost sheep? Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. That's your call. Why to them? We go to lost sheep. Why to these ones of Israel? Because of this heart. Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, a specific people. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so all of that Old Testament backstory now comes here. Here are my people that you need to go to first. Here are those who have been given the promises. What promise? Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so in this moment, the apostles are sent clearly to an ethnic people. But as we hear this word now in the charge of Christ, we're hearing something more. Go to the true sons of Abraham. Go to those who are called and elected by me and bring them in. Because that harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So get out, disciples, apostles, to that work. And in what power will we go and do that? In what aggressiveness? Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But then hear this, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To those who have received promises, we speak this word. The rest will follow. And so even for us, covenant fathers, looking at our mission field and saying, it doesn't end with our kids, but it ought to start there. In intentionality. Those who have been given great promises. That if we are neglecting that first mission field, we've missed the point. Not to the exclusion of every other, but there is a charge that we've been given. To proclaim, verse 7, as we go, his direction, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We go out to that entrusted call in that kind of aggressiveness as those directed to his proclamation. We make Christ known. We speak what he has chosen us to speak, And that speaking is him. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But how do we say that? How do we speak that? What instantly becomes tacked onto that call? The word that Christ hasn't spoken here, but always attaches to the same. Repent. Repent. Matthew 3, 2-3. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist's message, for this is he who was spoken of the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are always together. 
And yet the church has amputated its own power by saying the kingdom is at hand. But not speaking a clear message of how do we go there? How do we get there? What is the way there? Repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't want to speak it. We don't want to offend. The gospel's offensive. Of course it is. It is aggressive in all of the right ways because dead people need to be saved and made alive. And yet we hold back. We fear man. What will they say? What will they do? How will I be received? We are charged to something. We are committed to something. To go according to his directions with a word of gospel good news. A call to repentance and then to what? To faith. And here's that spot of the gospel we heard this morning. That I'm not my own but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. Who has fully paid for all my sins. And has set me free from the... Here's your opportunity. To go out according to that word. And to go out then with that word in a demonstration of his power. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And again, we get hung up on this because we're like, well, pastor, we're cessationists. We don't do those things. We just have a gospel. Go and heal the sick. The sickness that is sin. And the idolatry of self. And the turning away from all things righteous to unrighteousness. Raise the dead. Because the gospel raises the dead. Cleanse lepers from their uncleanness. The only uncleanness we need to be cleansed from is our own sin and depravity. Cast out demons. Why? So we can be released from our sin and from Satan and from self and brought to joy in Jesus. That's the task of going out as the hands and feet of Jesus, as those charged to his mission in demonstration of his power. To speak the word and to do the works that authenticate his word and his authority amongst us. That we will be a people who do what he tells us to do. It's a struggle sometimes for some of you kids, right? Mom and dad say things, or your teacher says things, and you're like, I don't want to do that. And so it speaks to the fact that you don't want to be one under authority. And so what the gospel does is bring us again before the wonder of the fact that he is that authority. He is the only one we will live for. And so we as a church then, if we're going to set apart that word, or set aside that word, I am not going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and I am not going to live a demonstration of the powerful working of the Spirit in any way of good fruit. What are we saying about Jesus? What are we saying about his charge? What are we saying about his authority? What are we saying about our doubt in the ways of his mission? No, we go. We go out as visible representations, as visible examples of the power of that same word. We're not being sent in something that hasn't changed us and captivated us. Something that hasn't been entrusted to us to share in the work of Jesus, but also sent out in that power. Again, the proper way of aggressiveness. That we go out because this is what people need to hear. 
even as we humble ourselves to one in which we submit and willingly and gratefully serve. That is his direction and mission for us as his church. But he doesn't leave us alone in it. He says, I'm going to provide for you in that mission and that in the second place. Because in receiving that charge, now what happens? Well, I don't know if I have enough gifts and and what are we going to do? And maybe we should strike a committee and and we should have people look at... Jesus doesn't allow time for that. This isn't the setup of this mission. As short term and as short distance as it may be. Receive my charge and go. Here's my call. Go out in it. Here's my authority. Go exercise it. Here are my works. Go do them. And so we receive that charge and we go out to serving him not worried about it. How are we going to provide for it? How are we going to be cared for? How are we going to have enough time? How are we going to work a, a life balance? How are, we, how are we going to get news out about it? How... There's so much paralysis in all of this. And he simply says, I'm going to provide for you. I will give you what you need. Not worried about being provided for in the pursuit. Why? Because we have every assurance of the same. Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if he's charged us, if he's equipped us, if he's called us to proclamation and called us as living demonstrations of that word, if that's the case, which it is, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all of us, for us all, how will he not also with him hear it? Graciously give us all things. I don't know if I'm the man for that job. God will give graciously to you in the calling that he has placed for you. I don't know if I have those gifts. He'll provide. I don't know if he, I have the time. God will provide. And again, I understand the balance. I already said it. I've got a mission field at home. I've got to make sure I'm there. I have a wife. I have a husband that I have to speak love into according to Ephesians. Understood. But if I am able to receive all things that I need to do this mission, all of the things to fulfill this charge, then I have everything I need in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have all things. I have all of the salvation and the comfort and hope that I need to take up his call. We have received all that we have in grace upon grace upon grace. That we may use it in the service of our king and give to others and serve others willingly according to the same grace. And that is never extinguished. That never runs empty. That spring never stops. He's faithful. And so the wonder of being able not only to believe that, but live that, is a testimony to the world. You received without paying, the text says. Give without pay. Psalm 119.36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And so now here comes again that word, not only for those apostles and those ordained servants, but also for his people in understanding the nature of that call. 
as those charged to a clear dependence upon his provision, we have every call and every freedom to simply live as his servants. That if the Lord has called us into service, placed that burden upon us, granted us that authority, we have every freedom to live that out, knowing that he will provide for it and care for it. We don't have to worry about the food that we will eat or the clothes that we will wear, for he is able to care for the birds of the heavens and the flowers of the field. So we are then freed, not to the pursuit of the things of this world. Oh, do you really want to go to seminary? You can't work then. How how do you know you're going to get a church? You're going to go to the mission field? You have all those talents and gifts. Why would you do that? I would love to say that these are things that haven't been spoken in the lives of churches. Not encouraging our children to service, but saying, hey, there's no money in that. We're freed not to pursuit of the world, but to saying, I will seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, knowing that all will be added to us. It's a humble faith. And more... It's the way it's always been. It's the way of the prophet. It was the way of the people of Israel. I want you to walk through the wilderness, and I'm going to feed you bread in the desert every day. Except Sunday, but I gave you double on Saturday. I provide for you. Walk in faithfulness. The prophets, we've worked through Elijah Elijah and Elisha. Hey, I want you to go hide out in a cave and I'm going to feed you by a brook and by the mouth of ravens. Be faithful. Hey, Elisha, you're going to go to the sons of the prophets and you're going to have some nasty stew that's unclean and I'm going to make it clean for you so you can eat. I'm going to provide for you. Walk in faithfulness. What are we going to do here, congregation? We walk in faithfulness. Will the Lord provide for us? Yes and amen every time. But we do what he has called us to do. And maybe that means that sometimes that our life looks a lot less King Solomon and a lot more John the Baptist. A lot less gold cups and a lot more locust and wild honey. Do we trust that God will provide for his service? Do we trust that he will continue to care for his church and for his mission? We have a promise. If we have been charged under this mission, we have been charged this kind of provision. In the promise of that care and provision, we can go boldly and aggressively to give ourselves to that single charge of doing what we've been given by Christ to do. So no, you don't need to have a fundraising initiative in front of it. Verse 9, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. You don't need to take out your own provision for this mission. I will provide. Verse 10, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or sandals or a staff. You're not going to need extra shoes. You're not going to need an extra garment. You're not even going to need a bag. You're not going to need any way to carry any provisions for this journey with you. For as I have provided for my word bearers in the past, as I provided for my people, as I provided for my mission, I will do the same now. But we doubt that. 
cards on the table? I doubt that. We struggle with that. What are we going to do? What's going to come? And then we go back to the promise. Deuteronomy 8, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. God's saying, I'm going to provide for you. Lord, I'm discouraged. I'm going to provide encouragement for you. Lord, I don't have these gifts. I'm going to provide for you. Lord, I don't have the means. I'm going to provide for you. Lord, I'm a little short. I'm going to provide for you. Lord, I can't find a way to to interact with that person. I'm going to provide for you. Father, I'm struggling with my neighbors to go to them with the gospel. I'm going to provide for you. You see, we get caught up on the money in this text, but it's so much more. I will give you all that you need. Just be faithful. Even when it's hard, even when you doubt, even when you struggle, even when you're discouraged, I am providing for you. Because I'm not an unjust master. Yeah, I'm going to charge you with something that's so miserable, but just do it. No. That isn't who Jesus is. I will care for your needs because that's what your service demands and more it deserves. That that kind of labor, that kind of good work is honorable. And so I will provide for you honorably as well. For the laborer deserves his food. That as those who work heartily for the Lord and not for men, the Lord will care for his servants through the gifts of those that he will draw near. And it's just as true today as it was in that day. That we've never come as a body and said, the Lord can't provide for this. Funds to help the orphanage in Mexico will go. And to build homes in Guatemala, we'll send. And to care for the people in Kentucky, we'll send. And to care for that task team and local needs, we'll send. And to care for the Christian school and those mission trips, we'll send. And the Lord has always provided. Those who have sorrowed and grieved and needed love here, the Lord provides. The Lord has always provided in the life of this church for the proclamation of the word. He has always provided. He has always provided office bearers. He has always provided teachers. He has always provided care and encouragement among the saints in this place. The Lord will provide. And so it's why Paul can write in 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. It's not burdensome. Lord, as you have given us, we give generously. 1 Timothy 5.18, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so do we trust. Do we trust that he is working his mission in calling us even to submit to it? I will provide. So much so that I'm going to provide places for you to stay. Verse 11, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. In Luke 10, 7, it's spoken in extension, do not go from house to house. Come and trust me and my work. 
Find out who will receive the word with joy and act upon it. Give yourself to their care and their encouragement and they will do the same for you. Because he is Jireh. He is the provider. He will provide for the service and the mission and the charge of his church. Which is in the last place then a charge to his benediction. And we see that in the last three, four verses. And in that way, it becomes perhaps the more puzzling part in the text for us. Because as we look at this, we struggle. Is this a text then about hospitality? Is it about what we say when we go somewhere? How does this fit in? Well, again, the disciples were not going. The apostles were not sent out in their own. They weren't sent out to social calls. They weren't heading out to just hang out with people for a while. They were going in their office. They were going in their charge and in their commission. And so as they entered a house, verse 12, you will greet it. They greet it in their office. They greet it in their task and in their commission and in the name in which they go forth. Hi, I'm Bartholomew, one of the apostles of Jesus. Here is the word of the Lord. In the name of Christ and in the shalom that he can only bring about, I greet you. Psalm 122, 7 and 8, peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace within you. They've instantly come into a home speaking the gospel, but one that has been what? prepared for by God. Because now that speaks not to their words and to their eloquence and to their greeting, but to the work that God has done, not only in providing for the mission, but blessing it. That's the charge and promise that is yours. Because then comes the distinction. Verse 13, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Let it dwell there. Let it have its work and its effect. It will be worthy because of the working of the Word and Holy Spirit that will be evident. So let the blessing and the wonder and the working of peace in your gospel service be known there. Let that be the hub. Let that be your place of short-term service. But if not, and I think that's the sobering part of this text, If you will not be received, Jesus, in that understanding of the charge, go and go quickly and go aggressively, says we don't have time for that. (laughs) And if anyone will not receive you, verse 14, or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. We don't have time for this. There are lost sheep to be found. And as hard as those hearts might be, as closed off or whatnot, it just gets to a point where like, you know what? There's more work to do and we got to go. Shaking the dust off your feet or out of the fold of your garments was a sign of judgment. This is yours. It was the indictment that the prophets used. It will be used later in the book of Acts by the apostles. Judgment. And so even in our work, we go to those who are receptive, not leaving our pearls before swine, but those in whom the Spirit is working, not just continuing to beat our head in with a two-by-four, 
but coming and saying, Lord, this is your work, and you will direct it, and you will show us the way we go. Why? Because it's not about you, apostles. It's not about you, disciples. You didn't create the charge. You didn't provide the provisions. It's not your peace. It's mine. For truly, I say to you, verse 15, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. (laughs) Wow. Fire and sulfur and destruction because not even ten people righteous could be found there. More bearable for them. Jude 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, more bearable for them than for those who reject the word. But yet we start thinking, oh, who are, who are we talking about again? Lost sheep in Israel, Jews, brothers and sisters, extended family in Galilee, who look a lot like us, but whose hearts are far from us. Matthew 7, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. More bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because as the word has its way and working, as it comes before us, that's what's going to happen. It will either be received or rejected. And we as those sent out an apostolic church, those disciples of Jesus Christ, those faithful to our charge, are going to run into both. And it wasn't about you or your eloquence or your gifts or your hard work. None of that. It is what the Lord will work in his time and his way, in his blessing. Because as the word comes before us, we either know peace and blessing or separation and curse. But in whatever we meet, we continue to go forth with the gospel of peace. And so I ask, brothers and sisters, is that blessing of the gospel at work among us, according to that which we've been charged by, by our Father? Are we giving ourselves to his direction, to the lost sheep even here, the number of them in West Olive or Zealand or Allendale or Grand Haven or wherever you've come from? Are we trusting him to provide? To provide for the gospel ministry, to provide for the church and her mission, to provide for us the time and the resources and the encouragement we need? And are we actively, aggressively sharing in and with others his benediction? His blessing and his peace. Let us be found faithful to that charge, aggressive to that charge in the right way on that mission for sheep and grain.
Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for its truth, for its conviction, for its call, for its charge. Lord, we have a story to tell to the nations as we heard this morning. We have peace to proclaim, one that will be received by many, one that will also be rejected by many. And Father, we simply sow the seeds or we water them. We are involved in that harvest, but none of it is ours. It's yours. You will work. You will give. You will prosper. You will bless or you will curse. But you call us simply to do what you have called us to do. And so we pray in the provision you give, in the grace that you provide, in the encouragement and energy of your indwelling Holy Spirit, Father, we pray, send us out, understanding what's been entrusted to us, understanding the the nature of that call you've given to us. And so, Lord, we pray in the same as we give gifts for the Kentucky Mission Project, for the supplies, to care for those in need, to go with that cup of cold water, to help those, Father, as the hands and feet of Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would provide for it. But, Lord, help it not to just simply end our our responsibility to pay and pray. But, Father, in whatever ways we might take up your mission, may we do it in the strength you provide. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.